Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. And today we're going to talk about my Apple Watch Series 7 review, rumored new iMac coming in 2022, and go more in depth on everything Apple announced at their Unleashed event. This episode is brought to you by Headspace, Posty, Simply Safe, and Fast Growing Trees. You'll hear about those in a moment. And joining me, I've joined him up in the mountains this week, actually, is my friend Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Pretty good, Stephen. Uh, just sad that I couldn't order my polishing cloth. Oh, yeah. Those are, what are they, like back ordered till November? Yeah, at least a <laughs> month. It's crazy, right? Like, <laughs> the most in-demand Apple product out there right now. I thought that was hilarious. So the polishing cloth is for the nano-textured screens, right? Yeah, you're supposed to order this if you have a special, like, Mac display that you need to clean. You're, this isn't like right. you know an Apple logo polishing cloth you're supposed to order if you're a fanboy, but you know it has an Apple logo on it, so people are ordering it like crazy because why not? You know, and this thing is twenty dollars. It's sold out. I saw it. I thought it was a joke at first, and then I saw everybody talking about it, and then I was like, maybe I want one. And but then it sold out. And no, I don't. I don't need a twenty dollar polishing cloth. So I mentioned that I joined you up in the mountains, and I am recording from a remote location, listeners. I'm actually in the mountains of North Carolina, impressed that bandwidth is allowing me to communicate with the outside world. But I thought, before we jump into everything, it would be interesting to describe a mobile podcast recording setup that I have brought with me. I did not bring a Mac. I did not bring my M1 MacBook Pro, and so all I have is my iPad Pro and my iPad Mini and my iPhone. And podcasting with just an iPad, you know, we've talked about it in the past. There's lots of stuff online about it, but I thought it'd be interesting just to describe how I'm doing it right now. And well, if you're listening to this, it means it worked because I was able to put out the episode, but I'm using my Assure Beta 87A XLR microphone, uh, which is a great microphone. I love it. Uh, but I didn't want to bring my, my big SM7 just because it's so heavy and unwieldy, but I'm going into a Sound Devices Mix Pre 3. It's a field recording unit. It has like three XLR ins, great preamps. It's actually what I record with every week, but it's great for mobile traveling. So I have the microphone going to that device and it's recording to an SD card, my microphone. Now I can't get Wes into that as well, unless I, you know, did an audio out of a second device and into it. And I could do that, but I'm just recording my voice in there. And then I've connected that via Thunderbolt to my iPad Pro and I'm also recording in Ferrite, so I actually have a backup recording of myself. It's going to the SD card in the sound devices thing, in the sound devices device, and it's going into my iPad Pro, so I got a backup recording there. But unfortunately, I was actually hoping I'd be able to use Skype on that same iPad and maybe not record in Ferrite, but just do Skype and hear Wesley through the sound devices because it supports audio out of the iPad Pro through the sound devices to my headphones. I'm using my AirPods Max wired connected to the sound devices, but Skype and FaceTime won't recognize a USB audio device that's not a straight USB mic. If you use just a straight USB microphone, I think it recognizes it, but for some reason it won't do the sound devices thing. So, but all that, it's recording my microphone. I have a backup and then I have an AirPod Pro in one ear. As I think, Wes, you do this in your weekly setup, but that's Skyping Wes from my iPhone with very low bandwidth, but apparently it's still working. And so 
it it seems like it's going to be okay. We'll see how it goes, but it isn't. Don't you kind of do that? You record on your iPad and then Skype from a second device? Yeah, I mean, I have two iPads sitting here. One's got Ferrite running with the microphone connected over Thunderbolt, and the other is my iPad Mini, which I'm talking to you over Skype. It it's my weekly thing. It doesn't blow up or anything. It's fine. Again, it's it's like I mentioned to you before. It's like jumping out of a plane without a parachute. We don't have any real backups here, other than you know the Skype uh, able to record our very tin can sounding airpods call otherwise right you know we're we're fine here uh, as long as i see the uh, minute uh, the seconds counting up on the ferrite recording i'm i'm happy right so about your setup uh, i've always wanted to kind of have something like that just because um it's it's more fun for whatever reason in the audio industry if if anyone here has the engineering ability and the 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 money i guess go and build one of these connections that has one xlr cable and sdr sd card slot and that's it and charge 200 dollars, and i'll buy it but like the thing that's like eight million dollars <laughs> that you have to you know have a 100 watt input brick and all it's no i i make a portable solution for portable for ipad podcasters because that would be absolutely amazing uh, an sd card backup would make the most sense yeah it would be good. The thing in video filming, you know, so if you're filming video on location in the field, you know, there's an eighth inch audio out. So you can plug that into the camera. You can record, you know, with a good shotgun microphone. So it's not super made for podcasting, but it is also kind of ideal for it because it records the SD card. I can power it just from the iPad. I don't have another external power source. It is just getting power from the iPad. You can also do like a double A battery or like one of those camera adapter batteries for the sound devices thing, but it it can be pretty simple. But yeah, the sound devices, I have the three, which is three XLR ins. There's larger models, but I think it was like $800. It's not cheap. We just need one step below this, just one XLR cable, an SD card slot. And that's it. I, I just don't know why that doesn't exist. I, I, exactly. I guess it's only 12 of us on the planet trying to do this, but <laughs> Jason Snell, you and me are now in a cabin. That's it. Well, we had a ton to talk about. I want to go more in depth on Apple's Unleashed event and the M1 Pro, M1 Max and all that. I do want to mention briefly, I did the full review of the Apple Watch Series 7. I did the video review and a written review. It was a lot of fun doing that. And unlike other reviewers and YouTubers, I was pretty bullish on the Series 7 larger display. I know a lot of people said it was not significant or wasn't that big of a difference. And you know, maybe if you have a Series 6, there's really no reason to upgrade. And I would argue that actually is somewhat a reason to upgrade, especially for two distinct reasons. One, if you need to make text bigger for legibility, maybe it's an accessibility setting or you just like to see it larger so it's easier to see, the larger screen is really nice for that on the Series 7 Apple Watch. And if you want to just make the text smaller, like I actually was able to tick mine down one notch and the text size is plenty legible. It feels close to the same size it was on my Series 6, but I can actually see and fit more text on the display. And so I actually find the larger display really useful for that. And it is a little brighter. I have found in most situations, you know, Apple said it's 70% brighter in standby, like when you have your wrist down, but I actually noticed it to be brighter pretty much in all situations, especially outdoors. Outdoors, it looked significantly brighter than the Series 6. So did did you pick up an Apple Watch Series 7? Yeah, I ordered one immediately. I, I upgrade every year. Uh, this year, like I said, it was kind of a borderline decision, but I ended up just following through with it, and I'm very happy that I did. The way I see it, there's, there's three people 
in the world when it comes to buying the Apple Watch Series 7. It's you have an Apple Watch Series 6, you have an older one, or you don't have one. Uh, if you have a Series 6 and you're a super Apple nerd, you might get a Series 7. That's kind of just your own decision if you have the money. But I would say anyone else that's Series 5 or lower or just don't have an Apple Watch, this is probably the perfect watch you could possibly get. Like This is the epitome of Apple's actual apple watch design we could probably see, start seeing redesigns and case changes in the near future but like this is apple saying this is the best we can do with the case size and the space that we have and i think it's pretty great yeah i agree and it is super fast you know the, there was no mention of the processor when apple announced the watch and everybody was like well is it any faster a new processor and it is pretty much the same processor as the six but like i said in my review i never had an issue processor wise with the six and so the seven is the same deal like it's plenty fast. I never really have to worry about waiting around for anything. And yeah, it just, it works great. So it's definitely noticeably bigger. I'm noticing that certain things are going better. The chipset didn't really change too much. There is like one difference in it. That's why they were able to up the chip name. The actual processing and actual speeds and stuff, it's all, it's all relatively the same. I'm not going to notice much there, but I, I have noticed the syncing and stuff just seems better maybe that's because uh watch os has improved i don't know but it's definitely just a better looking watch overall and i definitely like the full-sized screen apps like just opening the calculator and seeing all of those buttons or the full-size keyboard with the swipe typing like those are actually pretty nice and uh it again it's it feels like the best version of watch os and the best version of the apple watch coming together into one package yeah and i've actually been using the swipe keyboard here and there and it's pretty useful you know, trying to tap individual letters is less useful, but the swipe one, you know, it works decently well. And, you know, I still prefer Siri, I think, when I'm dictating a text message, but I like it. Quick tangent before we uh, move on. Yeah. I've seen uh, some news fluttering around uh, our space just because Apple featured it on the App Store Twitter. Uh, there's this app called Facer on um, the App Store, and it seems yes. like it should be totally illegal because it's like letting you customize <laughs> your watch face, and Apple actually promoted it because they're using this really funny workaround. It reminds me of WatchSmith and how on the iPhone, iPad, uh, you can just create widgets that look like images but have calendar data in them and stuff. It's basically letting you do super crazy customization options. The watch app Facer is attempting to do the same thing. The biggest issue here is is um, you have to pay a pretty good amount of money to even get involved. It's $40 a year for a subscription or $5 a month. They're obviously banking on the fact that people are really itching to customize their watches. And you have to be, you have to be really careful because a lot of them are just really uh, borderline idiotic watch faces that are just images uh pasted in the background of the uh face like the uh photos face and it's just like no don't right. don't fall for that obviously like it's not it's a picture of a clock with the digital face on the front no guys like whoever's running facer get in there and get rid of those like don't be scammy if you're going to be a legitimate like premium watch face app don't just let anything in have a little bit of curation please or at least put those on all in a folder and label it dumb <laughs> I think Steve Trotton Smith tweeted it and I saw it there and I was like, wow, Apple just featured a third party face app. And so I was very curious. I downloaded it. But as you're saying, like when you dig deeper, there's some weird stuff in there and it's like, this is not exactly what it's advertising or at least not what you think it is when you first see it. 
it definitely is real. This is this uh, and Apple was right to feature it. Yeah, like this yeah. is like an actual thing. And there's some cool stuff in there, but there's only like five cool things. We need more artists. We need more people in there to actually design and update stuff. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, one last rumor before we get to the event stuff. This was a tweet from analyst Ross Young. He was saying that Apple is preparing to launch a redesigned 27 inch iMac with mini LED and promotion technology in the early part of 2022. So new iMac coming early next year, which, I mean, I don't even know if this is a leak. I mean, this is like, yeah, rabbits are furry. Uh, yes, Apple is going to release a new iMac. It's going to have the same amazing display technology that's in the new MacBook Pros. Yeah, the rumor part of this isn't actually, oh yeah, Apple's coming out with an iMac. We all knew that. What's actually uh, interesting here is that he came out and said, no, Apple is not making a some display size a monitor because earlier in the week there was uh, some reports going around about early 2022 apple's releasing a sub five thousand dollar monitor that isn't the pro display xdr but it will have 120 hertz it will have mini led and stuff and that was getting shared around and this ross young guy comes out and says no actually that is the panel uh, for the iMac. Uh, so right. I don't I don't like this rumor. I want both. Let Apple like release a, a nice monitor and a nice iMac. We can we can have both, I promise. It- yes. I was I'm also interested too in the sizing. You know, the iMac, the 21 and a half inch prior to the M1 iMac was the typical size and that went up to 24 inches because of the decreased bezels and all that. And I don't think the 27 inch is going to stay 27. I feel like that's going to go up to 30 an additional 3 inches just like the 21 went to 24, wouldn't you think? Um, yeah, I don't think it's going to stay at 27 unless we see an iPad Pro situation where, remember when we went bezel-less on the iPad Pro and they uh, shrunk to fit the casing on the 12.9 inch, but they right. expanded the display on the 10 inch to be 11 inches. So could be the same situation here where we bring the casing into this display. Right. I doubt it. I think Apple might actually take advantage of this. I But see, if you've ever used a 27 inch iMac, I mean, I owned one once upon a time when I was still using Macs and those things are big they are gigantic like yeah, they're big if you are sitting like three feet away from that monitor like at a normal desk setup that it is your entire field of vision already so it would be interesting to see apple step up the monitor size even just a couple inches uh, but that would still be a big change monitor wise like three inches is actually quite a big step so right right i have a 27 inch monitor on my desk right now and yeah going three inches bigger would basically be my entire uh, right side of my desk so <laughs> yeah exactly well, it'll be interesting to see. So it'll be early 2022. That's I'm waiting for that and whatever Mac Mini that Apple releases with these M1 Pro and M1 Max chips. But we'll talk about that in a moment. Yeah, if Apple releases a monitor and they don't announce some kind of cool full screen iPad support or some nonsense, or like you plug in your iPad and you get that 120 refresh through the iPad operating system on the display and all of that, like if they don't do something cool with the iPad on this and uh, just give up forever on external display support, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. So let's go to the Unleashed event. I did a recap episode where I tried to cover most of the details in a succinct way. And so if you want to listen to the recap of the event, that's the previous episode in the feed. Don't want to make this another recap, but I did want to dive a little deeper on some of the topics. Well, starting from the very top, I loved the intro song that Apple did with the sounds from like Apple devices and the guy mixing in the garage, which that video is available on YouTube. And I'll put a link in show notes if you want to hear it again. But I loved that intro video. I thought it was super creative. Probably, I think, I don't know, one of the best of recent Apple events. 
Yeah, it was very entertaining. Um, it wasn't pandering or anything like some of their videos have been. One of the my complaints, though, is if Apple's going to show off this really cool mixing and celebrate the uh, what we're getting to 40 years of Macs and all of that and, and all the sounds that they've created, because Apple has always been obsessed with sound as since the very beginning. They want the yeah. perfect tones, the perfect clicks. Every single thing is heavily engineered. It, you have to think that inside of that company that there are people just kind of mourning the loss of every single iteration of these sounds. Because like once the iPad uh, iPod moved away from the touch wheel, you no longer have the click wheel sound. Right. Stuff like that happens all the time. Like the startup chime went away for a while. And it makes you wonder, like, why doesn't Apple give us access to a lot of these system tones and settings. Like why can't I go on my iPhone and make the Mac startup chime a ringtone or something silly Yeah. or use it in the clips app, you know, like stuff like that. Like Apple owns all of these things. They have it sitting in an audio file somewhere, preserve a little bit of that history and give us access to it and publish that song on Apple music. Let us listen to it. I mean, that was really cool. I was hoping it would hit Apple music too, not just on YouTube, but so we'll see. Uh, they also have the new HomePod mini colors. Those are cool, available in November. The Apple Music voice plan announced by Zane Lowe. Again, it's $5 a month to access the entire Apple Music library, but the catch is you can only access it via Siri. So basically, if you just ask Siri to play music ever and you don't want to manage any playlists, you don't care about spatial audio or scrolling through lyrics or playlists on a device, you can just pay $5 a month instead of the $10 individual plan or $15 family plan and just access Apple Music via Siri, which initially, you know, maybe people was like, why is this even a thing? Although if someone has, if someone wants to get a HomePod mini for whatever reason and doesn't have other Apple devices, I could see that being a thing. Or maybe they don't really use their devices to listen to music and they just use like a HomePod or HomePod mini and they just access it via asking Siri. Maybe that or... It could be a thing where they are a Spotify subscriber, like they do music in Spotify. That's where their playlists are. They prefer that app for listening to music, but they want a HomePod. But I mean, maybe maybe if you just want the tighter integration with a HomePod and Apple Music, you can pay this $5 a month to just access it on a HomePod mini. Easier foot in the door if people don't want to jump to 10. But Yeah, I mean, everyone's very confused as to why this even exists. I mean, if you're a student, you're paying $5 anyway and you get the full shebang. For $5 a month, basically, like the way I imagine it is, is you're sitting in a library, you're blindfolded, and the only thing you can do is you can read any book you want in the library, but you have to tell the librarian which book and you can, and they have to read it to you. You're not allowed to read it. It's a little strange to me. Like, uh, you, you can't, it actually changes the Apple Music app UI. You can't navigate Apple's music selection. You can't see what's in there. Uh, it actually changes it to right. try asking Siri to play a relaxing playlist. It like it like comes up with suggestions to tell Siri because you have to interact with your voice. Apple is really pushing that here, and it's kind of wild because don't specifically know what you're going to listen to. Then yeah, Siri is Siri is basically making the decisions for you at this point. You can just have ad supported Spotify and have access to all the music in the planet. <laughs> right. I think it really does come down to, like you said, just compatibility. If you have a lot of Apple devices, but for some reason don't have Apple One, for some reason don't want to pay for the $10 a month plan or whatever, or just even want to experiment uh, with the service, then sure, this is something for you. Yeah. I just, I do wonder the purpose of this other than maybe getting people in the door. If I had to put my finger on it, this is the 16 gigabyte iPhone, right? This is the mm. 16 gigs of storage. But if you really want 32 gigs, it's only $100 more, you know? <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, I'm very curious. If there are any listeners right now thinking, I'm going to jump on this $5 a month 
Apple Music Voice Play, and I'd really love to know why, you know, is it a is it just a cost thing? Or I know for me, I was huge into building playlists for many, many years. I mean, I used iTunes on my 12-inch G4 PowerBook. I still have those playlists. I mean, this is why I still let that $25 a year iTunes match thing keep renewing because I'm not sure what happens if I stop paying for it. And I know I've had many listeners email me and tweet at me. They're like, no, you can stop paying for it. If you pay for Apple Music, it's fine because iCloud Music Library takes care of all that syncing. And I'm like, eh, $25 a year. It's enough for me not to have to like worry what's going to happen to all my playlists and music that I've uploaded. But I was so big on making playlists, smart playlists, organizing my music, especially when you were like syncing playlists to iPods or whatever. But I feel like in the last four to five years, I really don't. I really don't make a lot of playlists per se. I will say play music by this artist. You know, I don't typically ask it to play a specific kind of playlist, although that was one of the new features where you can ask Siri, hey, play dinner music or play something else, some playlist. But I do actually use Siri most of the time to start music because I just don't want to think about it. And that's not everybody. You know, some people still are very meticulous about their playlists and organizing their music. But yeah, I'd be curious. Listeners, if you're out there and you're like, I'm going to do this $5 a month because that's all I really ask is Siri to play music. I'd love to know. I'd be interested. I could see someone with like a older parents or something buying a HomePod mini and setting it up in their house and just say, yeah, grandma, you can tell them to play some jazz. It's fine. That's true. And like that, that would be a fun setup. And, and in that case, like if, uh, you know, you're already in a family of six and you can't add your parent or grandparent or uncle or something, and you're just want to do this sweet little thing for them and pay $60 a year for this Apple music subscription. And it's basically, you know, not that much money if, if you have it and yeah. get it out there in the world. Sure. Like that, that's something easy you can do. I could see those kinds of situations uh, happening, but I don't think anyone like like us is going to be investing in this for themselves because they'll already probably be on Apple One with access to everything. Right. And that's the thing too, is if you have any Apple One tier, you get Apple Music. Like they give it to you with everything. So you don't need this $5 a month. We could probably do a whole episode, like an hour, just talking about how we listen to music. But anyway. <laughs> That'd be interesting. No, for sure. Yeah, and listeners, if you're like, I don't want to spend $5 there, which you can do, you spend $5 by supporting the Apple Insider podcast, either in Apple Podcasts or on patreon.com slash Apple Insider, and you get an uninterrupted ad-free version of the show. I'm just saying, it's a good, uh, good use of $5. And this episode is brought to you by Headspace. Are your thoughts running endless circles in your mind? With the stresses of the last year and a half, it's more important than ever to practice living healthier and taking time for your mental health. So what if a few minutes was all it took to change your relationship with stress and anxiety, transforming your life for the better? Well, that's the power of meditation with Headspace. Listen, our thoughts can be confusing enough. Meditation doesn't have to be. Headspace is a convenient dose of mindfulness, sleep exercises, and meditation to relieve stress and anxiety and help you get a good night's rest. And it's one of the most science-backed meditation apps in the world, proving meditation works. A study proves in just two weeks, Headspace can reduce your stress by 14%. Listeners, I've used Headspace personally for several years now. And when I feel overworked or that to-do list is getting a little too long, I know I can get stressed and overwhelmed. And taking just a few minutes with Headspace, especially doing it regularly, can truly help your mental health. I've also done their fear of flying segment when I was traveling more, and that helped me be at ease when I was traveling. I've done the sessions with kids. They have sessions specifically for attention or focus, and I've done those with my children, and that's a great bonding time, but also great benefit for them as well. They also have great playlists now from special artists and musicians like Hans Zimmer, who is a music composer. You can actually listen to 
ambient music from him just to take a moment and relax. So find some Headspace at headspace.com slash Apple Insider and get one month free of their entire meditation library. This is the best Headspace offer available, so go to headspace.com slash Apple Insider today. That's headspace.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Headspace for sponsoring this episode. And our friends at Posty. In the competitive world of advertising, marketers are always looking for an edge to accelerate growth, reach new customers, and get measurable results. Today, they're turning to the best-kept secret in marketing, direct mail reinvented for the digital world by Posty. Posty has transformed direct mail by adding all the digital marketing capabilities found in channels like Facebook, Google, and YouTube. I've actually worked in a lot of marketing before and have done direct mail, and it is always a headache. Just trying to get what zip codes are we sending, deal with graphic designing and the distribution and finding the audience. But the Posty platform makes all of that so simple. And it's an all-in-one shop where you can do everything in one place and you don't have to deal with multiple vendors, going to different people. Posty allows you to run direct mail like a digital marketer. Posty's platform is a one-stop shop that does it all for you. You build audiences, set up campaigns with A-B tests, approve creation, track results in real time. It's like a direct mail easy button. And Posty even integrates with your CRM, accesses data sets, and builds lookalike models from over 250 million U.S. consumers. With Posty, you narrow in on your target audience and reach customers that you don't find through other channels. And Posty is fast. It's fully automated printing and logistic solutions, which allows you to deploy campaigns in days, not months. And you can attract new customers, retarget your website visitors, and re-engage your existing customers. Diversify your marketing and stand out with direct mail from Posty. Hurry and get your free Posty demo today by visiting posty.com slash Apple Insider. That's posty.com slash Apple Insider for a free Posty demo. Posty Direct Mail, reinvented for the digital world. Our thanks to Posty for sponsoring this episode. The last part of the music section was the new AirPods. These were long rumored. The AirPods 3, we had been hearing about them for months, so it was nice to see them finally come out. I got a pair, and I'm very excited to try them out. You know, the new Contour design, I'm curious how they fit, how secure they stay in the ear. Old AirPods, and they still sell them, the Generation 2 are still being sold for like $129. Those never really fell out of my ear. Those were in there plenty secure. And I'm curious, this larger size that goes in the ear that's like rounded and contoured. I mean, I'm sure Apple has tested this, but curious how secure it stays in the ear. But I'm excited for it. And Jason Aten on Twitter, he writes for Inc. He asked me, you know, why get the regular AirPods when I have the AirPods Pro and AirPods Max? And I mean, this is like an ultimately privileged thing to be able to do, but I actually use each version of the AirPods in different situations. And mostly because I don't like transparency mode in either AirPods Pro or AirPods Max. Like it works great. You can hear the world around you, but something about that artificial sound of what's around you. I'm, I don't like it in some environments. And so I'll use the AirPods Max in situations like right now, if I'm recording a podcast and when I'm editing it, or if I'm in like a deep focus and writing session, I'll use the AirPods Max. When I go grocery shopping or run errands, I use the AirPods Pro for the noise canceling and because they're lightweight and I'm not gonna be wearing AirPods Max in like a grocery store, like it's too much. But if I go for a walk around the neighborhood or if I do an exercise, I actually prefer the base model AirPods that don't have sound isolating tips and I can actually hear the ambient world around me without through this like weird digital medium. And so I actually 
like using all three different of AirPods in different situations. So I'm I'm excited to try these. Excited to see how they feel like just going for a walk and around the house, which is something else. Like when I'm in the house, you know, I have a wife, I have three kids, and if they try to talk to me while I'm listening to something in AirPods, I don't like them having to like call me multiple times because I can't hear them with noise cancellation on. <laughs> or if transparency mode is on, it's like too much. There's like too much noise around that I actually can't hear the podcast I'm listening to very well. And the base model AirPods that don't do sound isolating or noise canceling, for some reason, strike a good balance of ambient noise and hearing the content that I actually want to listen to. So that's why I'm, I'm excited about these. Well, I'm not going to order them just because I'm waiting on AirPods Pro 2, but it makes me a little worried that Apple did update the charging case for the AirPods Pro to uh, include the MagSafe connection because it kind of signals that there might be a while before we see some new AirPods Pro. Right. I'm I'm really hoping we get a next generation soon just because, again, like these are getting long in the tooth. The battery life, of course, is waning. We're going to have to eventually replace the the do the battery or the uh, ear tip replacement at some point if uh, if I'm going to keep using these things I would prefer just get a new pair but we'll see yeah you heard it here uh, first folks I'm, I have a theory for what the AirPods Pro two are going to do um, based on the oh. the new the AirPods three design I'm willing to bet that you'll be able to choose if you use ear tips or no ear tips and uh, you can mm. take out the ear tip and just have the molded plastic in your ear as similar to the AirPods three. Which would be interesting, but I I I think that would disable active noise canceling and such because it would change how the isolation works, and I believe the uh, modes would automatically turn off, basically turning them into a pair of AirPods three. That's my theory. Right. Think that would be a very Apple thing to do, honestly, and uh, solve your problems even of needing seven different sets of headphones to do uh, the same task. <laughs> That would be nice because that was actually one of the rumors about the AirPods 3 initially was that they'll have interchangeable silicone tips. Like you can use it with tips or without. And that was not the case. Apple didn't announce any tips with these. So yeah, I mean, if that comes for AirPods Pro 2, I mean, I'm sure one of my kids would love to get whatever pair of AirPods that I have. Right. Yeah, you can always pass them on. I think uh, the most important thing about this announcement, though, uh, out of everything, is the standard AirPods are $130. And that means these are aging devices. They are on sale all the time. Uh, that that means this Christmas, you're going to be able to walk into a store and get a set of AirPods made by Apple for $100 or less. Yeah. That's going to be huge. I mean, these things are already in everyone's ears, but multiply that by 10 because now it's cross the line from borderline uh, too expensive for someone especially younger being $150 plus to wow yeah I could probably just buy this as a stocking stuffer and it'd be okay you know right it, it might be the only stocking stuffer but it <laughs> there you go <laughs> yeah no that is very true well I'm also interested to try out the magsafe charging on this case you know the height of these cases are not high enough to cover the puck so I'm curious like what kind of alignment it does or does it just keep it within the circle as you throw it on a MagSafe puck? And will it work with something like the Belkin 3-in-1 or some of the other like hanging MagSafe things where your phone will actually hang? I don't imagine the AirPods case will be strong enough to stick to it, but maybe it will. And so I'm, I'm curious to try that out. I absolutely think you can stick it to this thing and like let it fall off the table. Yeah. It's fine. It's <laughs> I don't see the utility. Um, Apple didn't go into details about why you'd use MagSafe. Uh, if... Yeah, there's not enough surface area, right? Like you don't get the full MagSafe 
connection. So I doubt this is going to get you 15 watts, right? Right. I think this is just an alignment thing. It just keeps it onto the pad uh, without it falling off. That's kind of, it's a nice little security detail. Raise questions though, again, like where are the magnets and how strong are they? I, I guarantee that they're strong enough to keep it. Like you could probably grab the cable, pick it up and the AirPods will hang on just fine. Like I, I don't expect that to be an issue, but hmm. definitely an interesting set of AirPods, but little, a middle ground, like a, a fourth tier and a system that probably only needs three uh i wonder if <laughs> right. i wonder what's going to happen to the original airpods because they're actually really good headphones and um yeah could they could they stick around just uh, indefinitely like uh, maybe apple throws a new chip in every now and then but is, is that 130 dollar price point just going to get lower and lower as we get further away from their release okay so real quick before we actually talk about the new macbook pro models i did want to mention that mac os monterey is going to be publicly released monday october 25th so just a couple days from when you hear this episode remember that brings shortcuts to the mac and a bunch of other improvements so i'm looking forward to that and even before that comes out Final Cut, Compressor, and iMovie were actually updated shortly after the Unleashed event. And the biggest update is cinematic mode is now supported in those applications. So if you import a cinematic mode video from your iPhone 13 into Final Cut, you can actually edit the f-stop or blurring depth effect in that video clip right there in Final Cut. So you don't have to edit it anymore on your iPhone. You can edit it directly on your Mac in Final Cut right now. You don't have to wait for macOS Monterey. You can do that now. And also Compressor, which if you didn't know, Compressor is, it's like Adobe Media Encoder, but it's Apple's application. Final Cut and Compressor work pretty well together. And I use Compressor whenever I'm putting something on YouTube or I want to just transcode a bunch of files in a different format. And it's cool because Compressor added a new feature called Watch Folders, where it can watch a folder on your Mac, and anytime any file video is put into that folder, you can have it automatically apply a transcode preset or an encoding preset, and it will just automatically transcode files you put in that folder. If you have a heavy video workflow or you just work with a lot of files like that, that it would be easy just to automate some of that transcoding. I would uh, take a look at Compressor. You know, it's I'm a big Final Cut fan. I've used Final Cut since it was Final Cut Express, like back in 2004. So I love Final Cut. And, I, you know, if you're in the Adobe world, that's fine. They're one-time purchases. You know, if you want to use any of the Adobe apps like Premiere or Adobe Media Encoder, you know, it's all subscription. It's all monthly. And so maybe you don't edit video, but you actually do have to transcode a lot of video and maybe audio files, or you want to make animated GIFs from a bunch of different videos. Compressor, I think, I believe it's $50 in the app store and it's a pretty powerful app and it's very flexible and, you know, Apple's updating it. They're, you know, they're putting some effort into it. So I encourage you to check it out. I love Compressor. I mean, there's LumaFusion on the iPad for iPad users. Uh, those guys already support right. ProRes out of the gate. I believe cinematic mode's coming or it has already. I haven't checked, but that's something they're obviously going to implement. I just, I do wish Apple would give us uh, their pro apps on the iPad, but you know, they're stingy that way. <laughs> I know. Well, S Steven, uh, I guess that's the podcast. There's nothing else to talk about. That event was uh, very short and uh, weirdly only about yeah, music short stuff. And sweet. Yeah, nothing else to talk about. Mm. Well, we probably should talk about the new MacBook Pros, 14 and 16 inch. Oh, that's right. The footnote. That's that's it. Yeah, yeah the footnote. Yeah, we'll just put it right here at the end. Oh, Pixel 6. That's actually what we should be talking that's it. about. <laughs> 50 megapixel, very useful uh, camera. Yes. Uh, you know, maybe we'll just mention now so it's not just like a random thing. But, you know, the Pixel 6, Google had their event. Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro 
actually minor differences between these two phones. You know, the Pro is 120 hertz display. The 6 has a 90 hertz. Uh, there's, you know, material differences in the hardware depending on, you know, which one you go with. But both have that Tensor chip. I'm curious to see what the testing is like when initial reviews come out. It was leaked, I think, by John Prosser. He said embargoes for the Pixel 6 should hit Monday or Tuesday, but embargoes for the new MacBook Pro also come out Monday, so Google might wait before they're showed up by the uh, Apple stuff. So I thought the pricing was the most interesting thing about these Pixels. The Pixel 6 is 600 bucks, and the Pixel 6 Pro is $900. So both are under 1000 and the Pixel 6 is actually pretty inexpensive when it comes to flagship phones. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, Google uh, subsidizes a lot of their costs through their other services because they expect you to, to go in to right. buy a Pixel, subscribe to all the Google things and do the, do that stuff. But I, I will I will point out very quickly, Pixel bending, <laughs> you're not taking 50 megapixel photos with your Pixel phone. I'm sorry. It's just not how this works. If you do, it'll be very crunchy and very dark. Yeah. Good luck. But uh, we saw this with the Samsung Samsung phones, they have like a 100 megapixel camera, right? But it's actually taking a 12 megapixel photo because of uh, four-way pixel bending or whatever. These are going to be very nice cameras. They're going to take very beautiful photos. They run Android uh, that that has, you know, apps. I, I haven't touched Android in years. It's, it's fine. <laughs> yes, Android has app. Yes. I can confirm. Can, can confirm that they have apps. <laughs> it runs. You can yeah. do Google search. I, I, I don't really care about these phones. They're so strange and they sell so few. I It's year after year we've seen like, why does Google keep making these? They sell literally like under uh, four or five million in a, in a year. It, it, we don't see the real numbers, but the estimates are just abysmal. Like they sell in a year what Samsung sells in yeah. a quarter for its flagship models. Well, and this is something Joanna Stern, who works for the Wall Street Journal, she tweeted something like, every year when Google announces the new Pixel, everyone gets super excited tech community and otherwise the camera's amazing, like hardware, all this, like the AI features. Everyone says this stuff is amazing. But when like the rubber meets the road, people don't buy these phones. Yeah, they're cool, nerdy phones. They're, they're nerdy. So the one difference I will say, I listened to Dieter Bone had an interview with Sundar Pichai and I think the person in charge of like pixel marketing, it was a special episode on The Verge, but they said they're actually working with all four carriers here in the U.S., to get the Pixel 6 in stores and distributed by carriers, which is a big deal because in the past, Pixel was only distributed by Verizon and Verizon's just not going to push it. You know, I mean, they're going to push the iPhone. They're going to push the Galaxy. You know, having one display of a Pixel in random stores, like, is not going to do it. So the fact that they are actually working with all the carriers in the U.S. to really try and get this out the door, I think is a good step, but we still have to see, will people actually buy this thing? And that, again, remains to be seen. We'll have to see in the next couple of months what people do. I just want to understand what their plan here is. Is this is this the Surface approach? It's what people assume, which is basically Microsoft Surface isn't meant to sell a lot, and it doesn't. Uh, it's meant to show the OEMs how to build a good Windows computer and let them emulate that. And that's what I'm guessing Pixel is or has been before. But Google obviously wants us to be an iPhone competitor. And at the price, that sure. But I just wonder if they can ever get anyone to buy these phones. It's it, They're trying really hard. Yeah, remains to be seen. <laughs> we'll see. All right, so we have to talk about the MacBook Pros. I want to try and work outside in, starting with like hardware and ports, and then maybe display, and then we'll go to actual chips. But the ports, once again, so many of the rumors came true. MagSafe charging is back. There's an HDMI port, an SD card slot, and then you have three Thunderbolt slash USB-C ports. I thought this was 
amazing. Like it's such a throwback and a reversal of what they have done the past five years. 2016, Apple came out with the redesigned MacBook Pro with touch bar and only USB-C ports. And now the ports on the 2021 brand new MacBook Pro basically resemble the 2015 MacBook Pro. Like the 2015 and a couple of years earlier had the same exact ports. It had HDMI, had an SD card slot, charged with MagSafe. And then I think it also had like USB-A. But those Pro ports that everybody was asking for for the past five years, I think it's pretty amazing that Apple actually brought it back. The HDMI, I'm most surprised about because, you know, SD card slot, a lot of pros, a lot of creatives use SD cards. MagSafe, we can get to that in a second. But the HDMI port, I think, is interesting. I guess for people who do presentations and conference rooms and stuff, the HDMI port is useful. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. Weird thing about these ports, though, is it does feel like they're from five years ago. It's like they literally brought those ports forward because right. HDMI 2.0, SDXC, like these are not new standards by any stretch. And right. my argument here is, is, yes, you need an adapter, a dongle, if you will, to access these ports on a all Thunderbolt connected Mac. But you get access to the latest and greatest. Uh, Thunderbolt supports that new crazy, uh, what are what are those SD cards called? They're they're basically like little SSDs at this point. Uh, they're, they're so fast. But then you go over to the HDMI port, which is 2.0, and it's like a quarter of the speed of 2.1 or something like that. You can't do 4K 120 hertz over it, which is like a, a actual output standard for a lot of things these days. Um, like even the, the PlayStation 5 does that, uh, which is a recent console. But like you can do HDMI 2.1 and full display port modes through Thunderbolt. So again, we gave up a Thunderbolt 4 port for these two more or less outdated things. And that's my only trip up here. I get it. It's convenience, but we are definitely trading for that convenience. Yeah. I'm also curious what companies like Hyper and Anchor and all these companies that have made USB-C dongles and docks for the last several years, you know, I'm sure that there'll always be a market for it. You know, the new 24-inch M1 iMac only has Thunderbolt slash USB-C ports, you know, so you probably need dongles for that. And the base M1 MacBook Pro, MacBook Air, still probably only going to have USB-C, so people will need dongles for that. But it was pretty amazing how big that market got just over the last five years, 2016 till now, where you can go to Hypershop, I think it's hypershop.com, or you can go to Anchor, and there's literally dozens of different configurations of USB-C hubs and Thunderbolt hubs. And so I just think it's interesting, and some of my favorite for using with a MacBook Pro, I had one of these from Hyper, but it was actually a long, thin, rectangular not a dock, it was an adapter, but it basically had, it had two USB-C connections that plugged into the two USB-C ports on the side of the MacBook Pro and it would sit flush against it. Yeah, all of those clamps are gone. Yeah, all anything like that or you can't use with the new MacBook Pro. You can't do it anymore. Yeah. Right, because once you did that, then on the MacBook Pro, you would have like one Thunderbolt on, on that dock plus the Ethernet, HDMI. But now... On the left side of the brand new MacBook Pro, you have the MagSafe charging port, two Thunderbolt ports, and then the headphone jack. And so if you want to use one of those like flush side mounting USB-C hubs, you'll be blocking most likely either the MagSafe port or the headphone jack, which I guess you could just 
put a headphone jack on another dongle, but like it just seems strange. So I'm I'm very curious what they do with that. I haven't even measured the the distance between the USB C ports. Uh, they might be different. Honestly, you might not even be able to plug these in because the distance between those two ports might have right. changed too. So uh, that whole collection of things if you've ever bought any of these they're just gone which right. which sucks but again like I, I i do believe like it's a worthy trade-off you do get access to some ports but i hope that industry shifts to some of our other computers like the macbook air or the ipad hey you know give that thing some attention <laughs> right i was also interested because i use a bridge b-r-y-d-g-e vertical dock with my M1 MacBook Pro. And the bridge vertical dock has two Thunderbolt connections that kind of stick up in the dock and the dock lines it up. So as you slide your MacBook Pro down vertically, it lines up over those two uh, Thunderbolt connections and it clicks in. And then outside the back of the vertical dock, you have two Thunderbolt ports that you can use with whatever. I go one to a CalDigit Thunderbolt 4 dock, another one to an OWC Thunderbolt dock, and I connect a bunch of different things. And I, I tweeted at them. They haven't tweeted back yet, but I'm curious if Bridge has any ideas of what they will do with the new MacBook Pros and if they'll use a vertical dock or try to build one for it. Because with a vertical dock on the right side, you only have the HDMI port, SD card slot, and one Thunderbolt. So I don't imagine you would dock it on that edge. And on the left edge, you have two Thunderbolt ports that you could do the same kind of thing, slide it down and click it into those two Thunderbolt ports. But you're not using then MagSafe to charge, which works. You can charge these new MacBook Pros over USB-C, but you actually don't get the fastest charging speeds. In order to get the fastest charging speeds, you actually have to use the MagSafe connector, especially on the 16-inch model. So I'm not even sure if Bridge can do that. If you're plugging into a dock, fast charging doesn't matter. Uh, 140 watts don't matter. You're probably going to be in that dock for a while. True, true. On the other side of things, you know, I don't see if they can align those ports to do the two Thunderbolt ports. There's no reason why they can't just slap a MagSafe guy in there that's 140 watts and use it as power only inside of the dock and then take full advantage of the two Thunderbolt ports. Is MagSafe available to third parties, though? Like, can they actually build um, MagSafe chargers? This is uh, iffy. Back in the day, I believe there were close replicas, like just the, the ones close enough that Apple couldn't sue. I don't know if the actual, <laughs> right. I don't know if the actual standard is, is as open because like the iPhone standard is technically open, but I think you have to pay Apple. And that's why we haven't seen any actual like 15 watt pucks going around um, from third parties. They're all standard, just magnetic. And there's the MFI made for iPhone program, which vendors can actually go through the official channel and be MFI certified. But I don't know if there was ever like MagSafe certified chargers for the macbook pro here's the other thing they could do and this is a little wonky but it works uh they could have a hole in the dock and let you run apple's cable through the bottom of it um just saying yeah. we do it with apple watch already why not it would be very janky but hey again i think for this uh, i think your concern is a little misplaced just because again if you're if you're hooking up to a dock if you're going to be there for more than 30 minutes your macbook's going to be 100 percent by the time you unhook it so it doesn't that magsafe port becomes redundant uh, at that point um i think passing power over right. the dock is is fine and the other ports on the other side again are, are are redundant if you're in a dock formation you can just slap those on the back of the uh hub or just have more thunderbolt ports um i don't think these kinds of things are going away again i think the spacing is going to be interesting if if the spacing is, is the same which i don't I, honestly this being apple it would make sense if it was the same i don't see why you couldn't take one of these new macbooks and slap it in that uh dock and it work exactly the same way on release day well the the bridge vertical dock that i use you know the the two ports are on the 
the far edge. You know, if you're like holding the MacBook Pro in front of you, they're on like the farthest they can be on that left side away from you, that left edge. And it does not, you know, that MagSafe connector is now there now on the 14 inch. Oh, right. Is there like a backing to it? It's, it expects that to be exactly the right size. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Like, cause you have to buy, when you buy a bridge vertical dock, you have to get it for your exact model MacBook Pro. And also I'm not sure. And I do think the new MacBook Pros are actually a little thicker which we could talk just briefly, you know, the overall design has changed and it's almost a throwback. A lot of people were tweeting pictures of like the titanium G4 power books that had, you know, black keyboard and had the kind of the look basically from the side and from the top of those older power books. And so it almost has like this retro look. The the thickness changed, I think, by like a penny. It's like 0.03 millimeters or something like it is thicker for sure. And it is heavier. I, 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 the weight is noticeably different, at least from the right. specs, but the thickness barely changed. But I think, uh, you know, people are excited to see that Apple's willing to at least make that change here um i i i'm sure that you could put this next to the current 16 inch macbook pro and it, you would need to have calipers just to, to notice uh what the thickness difference is here oh yeah. yeah like it's it's gonna be very difficult to tell but the feet uh on the bottom will give it away right away so it, it's gonna make it stand taller on a table for sure this episode is brought to you by simply safe there's big news from your favorite home security company simply safe just launched their new wireless outdoor security camera that's right, Simply Safe, the system that U.S. News and World Report names best home security system of 2021, and they just got even better. This brand new outdoor security camera is engineered with all the advanced tech and security features you want and need to help keep you and your family safe. If you listen to Apple Insider and the HomeKit Insider episode, you know that I love smart home devices and I have cameras around my house, and finding an all in one security system is not easy, especially one that's reliable and secure. And Simply Safe is one of the best out there. And this edition of a new wireless outdoor security camera really makes it an all in one security solution. It has an ultra wide 140 degree field of view, so you can keep watch over your entire yard. 1080p resolution with an 8x zoom that means you can zoom in and clearly see things like faces and license plates to capture critical evidence it has a built-in spotlight with color and night vision so you can keep an eye on what's going on day and night it's super simple to set up and usually just takes minutes and it's easy to remove and it has an easy to remove rechargeable battery so it doesn't need an outlet and can go anywhere on your property this camera has all the features you want and it integrates with a simply safe home security system extending its protection to the outside to learn more about the exciting new Simply Safe wireless outdoor security camera, visit simplysafe.com/appleinsider. What's more, Simply Safe is celebrating this new camera by offering 20% off your entire new system and your first month of monitoring services for free when you enroll in interactive monitoring. Again, that's simplysafe.com/appleinsider. Our thanks to Simply Safe for sponsoring this episode and our friends at Fast Growing Trees. When is the perfect time to plant trees and shrubs? Big box store experts will tell you any time or, huh, that's a great question. But I'll tell you the best time to plant is actually the fall or autumn time. So right now is the time to go to fastgrowingtrees.com. You can skip all the big box stores and just head to fastgrowingtrees.com, which is the world's largest online nursery. No more waiting in lines or messing up your car digging through lackluster selection. Just go to fastgrowingtrees.com and choose from thousands of varieties of trees, shrubs, and plants expertly curated to thrive in your area and deliver to your door in one or two days. Whether you're looking for shade, fruit trees, or just want to add color to your yard, every plant is shipped with a well-developed root system ready to explode with new growth come spring. 
I got to be honest, I ordered a persimmon tree from Fast Growing Trees and it came super fast, delivered in like two or three days. And I love it gives you all the instructions you need to get it in the ground or potted, either one, and growing quickly. I loved it so much I went back. I bought a fig tree and another pepper vine. And I love the website because it tells you wherever your location is in the U.S., it'll show you the best plants for your area, your growing area. So you don't have to worry about buying the wrong thing. So join over 1 million satisfied gardeners at fastgrowingtrees.com plus the 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee means your plants will arrive happy, healthy, and ready for planting. Now through November 30th, go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash appleinsider for 15% off. That's 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash appleinsider. fastgrowingtrees.com slash appleinsider. Our thanks to Fast Growing Trees for sponsoring this episode. Real quick, last thing on power. If you buy the 14-inch new MacBook Pro, it comes with a 67-watt power adapter, which one of the features Apple touted during the event was faster charging on these new MacBook Pros, but you don't get faster charging with the 67-watt brick that comes with the 14-inch. You actually have to upgrade. It's a $20 upcharge. You can get the 96-watt power adapter, which, which works with MagSafe, to get fast charging on the 14-inch. The 16-inch comes with a 140-watt adapter, which is actually gallium nitride, which is amazing. This is the first GAN charger that Apple has built themselves. And so all 16-inch MacBook Pro models come with the 140-watt adapter, which will give you that fast charging. But if you go with the 14-inch MacBook Pro and you want fast charging, you have to do the $20 upgrade for that 96-watt charger. I wonder, GAN is interesting because uh, I just re- I just did a review, if you go look at my review, of some uh, Setechi chargers, and one of them was a 100-watt charger, yeah, yeah. and that thing is basically, I mean, it's a little bit bigger than the 30-watt Apple charger, but like compared to the 30-watt, it is basically the same size. Apple making a GAN charger, I wonder what space considerations they've made because i haven't looked at the actual spec page for this guy you can buy it separately it's like 100 bucks interesting looking at it i mean just based on the size of the USB-C guy and the uh, plug in the back it's still fairly big i wonder i mean it is 140 watts so yeah. it's going to be bigger than a 100 watt charger but i do wonder if this is competitive size wise with other gan chargers and of course you can expect in the coming weeks itachi and other companies uh, anchor to come out with their own versions of this don't go buy this charger unless you have the 16-inch MacBook Pro because USB-C is smart. It will communicate with whatever it's charging. It's not going to overcharge an iPad. It's going to find out what wattage is on the other end and give it that wattage. So don't buy this expecting you're going to charge your iPhone in five minutes or something. It's not It's not going to work that way. One thing I thought is interesting, though, and Gruber had this in his article, even if you have the 140-watt adapter with the 16-inch MacBook Pro, if you connect it USB-C to USB-C, you do not get fast charging. Right. The new 16-inch MacBook Pro does not do power delivery for fast charging over USB-C. So if you want fast charging, you actually have to use the USB-C to MagSafe cable, not USB-C to USB-C. So I thought that was an interesting port. Well, this is actually an issue... If you want to dig into that, this is an issue with how the specs work because the spec for Thunderbolt 4 was actually created before the 140 watt charger existed, obviously. So uh. so the USB-C spec does not account for that and Thunderbolt 4 cannot push that much power. 
uh, Thunderbolt 4 is the same spec as Thunderbolt 3 for power delivery. It's 100 watts maximum. For a battery that size, you need the higher wattage to get to fast speed rates. That's that's the whole problem here. This isn't like an oversight by Apple. They couldn't have done anything differently with the Thunderbolt ports to make 140 watt charging work. It just doesn't exist. My only caveat there is in Gruber's article, he said there's a new specification that allows for much higher power delivery over USB-C ports. But that's not in Thunderbolt 4. Oh, I see. You would have to... Like, it's like a, I'm, I, I might be wrong here. I mean, listeners go uh, read Wikipedia on power. Listeners, the, the Apple Insider Army, uh, find, find out. That's all. Report back. I am 90% confident that Thunderbolt 4 just doesn't have this spec and would have to be changed. And it's, it takes a while for these, like it would right. be Thunderbolt 4.1 or whatever. It takes a while for these things to go through. Yeah. Again, the fun with having all the same shape chargers with uh, different specs, it's great. But the good thing about Thunderbolt 4 is it is backwards compatible with everything. So if you have a USB C shaped charger and plug it in, it will work. It doesn't matter if it's C or Thunderbolt 3 or whatever, it will all work now. So that's, that's the right. one nice guarantee that you have with these ports. Now we do have to have a moment of silence for the touch bar, which was not even mentioned once in Apple's <laughs> in Apple's event. And so 2016 to 2021, the touch bar is no longer. Some people might miss it. I'm good without it. And I just think it's interesting that it was a five-year experiment. You know, I feel like after the initial announcement of it, Apple never mentioned it again. And now it's gone with a, <laughs> without a whisper. I think this is a perfect indicator for viewing how long it like a product cycle internally to Apple. Because if I had to guess, if Apple had a decision to make here, like the iPhone mini, they would have pulled that thing a year later, if not two, and just had it gone. But the way that supply chains work, the way that Tim Cook has all this organized, it probably literally takes five years to get a change made to one of these things. This is a big ship to steer. And um, I've, I hate, I hate these articles. I swear. Like uh, you'll see me on Twitter yelling about, you know, people the the steve jobs thing just stop stop it he doesn't care apple has admitted in the past and like this is like 2014 time frame uh johnny i've mentioned the apple watch being in development since like 2010 or something like they, these things are always on a four-year right. five-year design product like development cycle there's prototypes galore for all kinds of different versions of these things so it takes a very long time to go from uh concept to final product to changing that final product that's why even iPhones have the three-year lifespan on design because Apple optimizes for these long lifelines and it makes making things cheaper because having exactly the same case. The only reason that 13-inch MacBook Pro has a touch bar last year is because they used the same case. They weren't going to change the case. That would have been too expensive. Right. Uh, Otherwise, that right. thing would have yeah, been exactly. gone. So uh, again, I I just don't tell me about Johnny Ive and how all of his mistakes. We get it. 2016 was a weird year <laughs> for laptops. They went too yeah. thin. They went with the butterfly. They got the touch bar. There was a lot of problems. We get it. But Apple couldn't just come out in 2017 and say, you know what, guys, we made a mistake. Here's the 2015 again. It's not how any of this works. And I think this is uh, the best indicator we've had yet of this is how long it takes. And uh, it, next time we have a problem with an Apple product, uh, wait five years and see if it changes this, like this, this notch thing, we'll get to it. That thing's going to be there at least another five years. I, I I'm willing to put money on it. Like it's that, that it's a thing. So, so let's talk about the notch. I actually forgot to mention in the recap episode, this has touch ID for authentication. There is no face ID on these new MacBook Pro models, which you would think seeing the notch that it is face ID, but it is not. Now, notch or not otherwise, like they decrease the bezel to give you more screen real estate. And I think the 
OS, like Mac OS is going to do its best to hide it when it needs to be hidden and give you the screen real estate when it can give it to you. And so if you like put an app into full screen mode on these new MacBook Pros, the top edge of the screen will actually black out. And so you won't see the notch. They're actually going to artificially just put a black line along the top of the screen when you're in a full screen app mode and you won't see the notch. And then other times you'll see the menu bar and other stuff on either side of the notch. I think much like the phone, you're just going to get used to it and you're not going to see it very often. I don't think it would be like disruptive or anything like it's more screen real estate. And again, the alternative is just to have a huge bezel on the computer that's wide enough for the FaceTime camera when you don't need to do that. Like you could just notch it out for the camera and give the rest of the screen real estate to the user. And so I feel like thinking about the alternative and the large bezel we've had on past models, like it makes sense. People are asking why a notch, why not a hole punch? And simply put, there's more than just that camera in there. I don't know if you guys know this, but when you shut the lid of a MacBook, it knows based on a magnetic sensor, it has to be there. Also, there's a proximity sensor for the camera. There's actually sensors in there. There's not as many as the uh, Face ID notch, but again, it's one of those things where that lid is four millimeters thick, all right? So putting components in there, making them spaced enough that they're not interrupting each other, right? Crosstalk through magnetic uh, issues and stuff like that happens in these uh, small environments. There's no shielding. You don't have any space for shielding, so you have to actually give them distance. Like, there's reasons why this notch exists beyond the uh, the selfie camera. So uh, the FaceTime HD camera, right? And also the ambient light sensor is there That's as right. well, as far as I know. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So every, uh, like, there's there's multiple things there, actually, that need to be there. there you, you can't just make it screen. There's not, again, we don't have the technology to put all these sensors behind the screen yet, at least not effectively or cheaply, especially in something that thin. Like we're really compromising on thinness at this point. This whole hole punch thing with the iPhone, I'll reiterate, I, I think it's nonsense, but it just seems too good to be true. But I was wrong. I, I, I bet against the MacBook updates. So maybe Apple will surprise us. I don't know. I will say though that this notch, the notch thing, just like with the iPhone 10, it doesn't matter. No. Like the area that the notch takes is the same as an as a go get a a 13 or 16 inch macbook pro right now that doesn't have a notch and look at it where the selfie camera and stuff is look left and right is there anything displaying there no it's just empty plastic that can't do anything but now that plastic can be the menu bar which means all the display that is normally the display is now content only no more menu bar which That means you've gained real estate and people have already figured out you can go into terminal and actually put a, put in a command and change the menu bar permanently to like black to quote unquote, hide the notch. Okay. Uh, So I've seen people actually posting about that on Reddit and stuff. So like there's workarounds, there's ways here. I just, I, I don't see it as being an issue. The, the drama around it's always fun to watch though. Right. But overall it's an incredible display. It's the first time promotion 120 hertz variable refresh display is in a MacBook Pro plus mini LED, which was rumored before, and now we have it. So the only mini LED displays you have is the iPad Pro M1, 12.9 inch, and now these new MacBook Pros. So display, I'm sure is going to be incredible. You'll have to watch for our reviews on that. Yeah, this displays this displays insane. This is the best display you've ever seen in a MacBook, and you and unless you buy the Pro Display XDR, even then, there's no real external display that can em- emulate this because. Uh, even the Pro Display XDR is not a micro LED. It's going to have more 
backlighting uh, problems than a, a mini LED display, which is kind of crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. We're, we have mini LED. We have 120 hertz, and we have full HDR, 1600 nits of brightness, like all in one display. Right. This thing is going to be very pretty to look at. If you have a 12.9 inch iPad Pro, you're essentially getting the same experience um, uh, overall, but on a much larger screen, which is cool. And so finally, just need to touch on the processors. You know, we'll have to go more in depth once we actually have these computers and can, can do the testing. There's been some Geekbench reports already out. And basically, you know, CPU performance, probably two times the M1. Obviously, it's faster, but GPU performance is really the story, especially on the M1 Max, which is the more powerful chip even compared to the top-of-the-line graphics card that you could have gotten in the Intel 16-inch MacBook Pro, the AMD Radeon Pro 5600M, the M1 Max has 62% more powerful graphics than even that highest-end AMD card that you could get in the previous 16-inch MacBook Pro. So the GPU performance is going to be incredible. And again, amazing to think this is Apple's GPU. There is no third-party GPU in these devices. Apple is making everything, CPU and GPU, together. And uh, according to some reports that this new MacBook Pro with M1 Max chip is basically on par with the last iMac Pro that came out, which you could equip with the AMD Radeon Pro Vega 56, which that machine was a GPU powerhouse. And so just in general, again, we will do the testing and report back once we have these computers in hand, but the GPU performance on these new M1 Pro and Max chips looks to be incredible. Guys, I, I know you're listening to an iPad user talk about Macs. I get it. William will be here next week <laughs> to talk all about how amazing these computers are and you, you know, you can argue whether or not William will ever get an iPad. Well, did, did he not buy one? I can't remember now. He did. No, he did. He got an 11-inch M1. That's it. See, there you go. Well, then he doesn't need these Macs. He has an iPad. I'm joking. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> moving on, these these processors are amazing. Like, I wish I could spend a whole hour talking about just the insanity that these processors are going to be. Yeah. I'm excited to see the testing take place. Uh, Apple actually shared what laptops they compared their specs to. And I look these things up. <laughs> these things are, they're hilarious. Do yourself a favor and just look up any of them and just see what monstrosity these things are. One of them uh, is made by MSI. The crazy thing about this guy is it is a five and a half pound laptop. So two pounds more than the 16 inch MacBook Pro. It's made of plastic. So it's five pounds of plastic not aluminum, gigantic fans, fan holes in the sides. Like uh, your your lap's going to be very well uh, kept warm uh, this winter if you use this laptop. Right. And fun fact, three hours or less, but closer to two and a half of battery life if you <laughs> run this thing without a charger. Right. So, and the Apple, that was one of Apple's uh, laptops they compared to a uh, big, big hunking like uh, Mac notebook with uh, it was like a NVIDIA, it was one of their high ends, like a 3080 almost, I, whatever's below that 3050T, or I, I don't keep track of these things, but it was just a very expensive, like three thousand dollar, very heavy laptop. One of the laptops they compared to is even heavier, it was like six and a half pounds. It just go look these things up, they're very fun. It you can find them in the footnotes of the MacBook Pro page, okay, <laughs> footnote 25 and 26. It's pretty funny, actually. Just go look them up, right. And the last thing I'll say, I just think it's interesting when you go to buy the 14 or 16 inch MacBook Pro models now, there is a lot of configuration that can be done just in the chips alone. And that was always a 
wonder, like, you know, Apple likes to simplify. There's no like processor choices when you buy an iPad Pro. And there weren't really processor choices with the M1, save for the seven or eight core GPU. But now when you go to buy one of these, you have multiple options. You have multiple M1 Pro options, depending on core count and multiple M1 Max options for GPU cores. And I think that's great. I think it's good to give people those options. If people know what value they're getting by upgrading their cores, they can pay for it. And if not, they can go with the cheaper model. And I think, you know, previously when you had Intel chips in these MacBook Pros, you would have like i5, i7, i9, and there would be like turbo boost with gigahertz, and then you would get the stock gigahertz count or like, you know. There were literally like three, three to 400 combinations of, of things you could get from the MacBook. I know because I used to manually enter those into our database for, for stuff. <laughs> right. There's a lot of combinations. <laughs> there is. And I, but I do think the way Apple is displaying them, like it's funny to me that there are no gigahertz counts anywhere. They don't give you any gigahertz counts on the M1 Pro or M1 Max. There's there's no numbers like that. It's just core counts. It's a very Apple thing. It's a very Apple thing. Do you want this many cores? Do you want that many cores? And I find it to be a more useful choice when you're trying to configure this laptop rather than trying to figure out is the 2.7 with a higher turbo boost better than a 3.2 with a lower turbo boost score? Like, I just think it makes more sense. And it's nice to see that Apple, when it's considering the pro market, and professionals using these computers, they understand they want these choices, like when it comes to ports, when it comes to processors and GPU size and core count. And I think it's good. I think it's great that Apple is is doing all of it. It makes purchasing these things a lot easier. I, I will say looking at this keyboard with the, the black uh, anodized aluminum backing, make the whole laptop that color. And honestly, I would probably buy one because that is such a nice looking aluminum. Yeah. Uh, Steven, real quick, let's, let's configure... Some Max with uh, M1 Max chips. Ma- max, Max. Let's see. So we have base price, 2400 right? You can get 10-core CPU, 32-core GPU, 16-core neural engine. I don't know why they mention that. It's the same on all of them, but they really want you to know there's a neural engine in there, Right. which was like, it's always funny to see like Apple's comparison. It's like, it's a million times better because Intel doesn't have one. Um, anyway, 64 gigs of memory, 8 terabyte SSD storage yep. comes out to... $5,899. And that's me declining Apple Care Plus because what kind of person gets Apple Care? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not, these computers are not inexpensive, but they're pro, pro models. Oh, yeah. Anyone in the business, anyone in the industry of any industry, it doesn't matter, just the industry that needs a pro laptop doesn't they'll they'll click buy instantly it doesn't matter this price is nothing i mean compared to the thousands of dollars of equipment that it's going to be attached to this thing to accomplish whatever right like, exactly you know you go to a, a multi-million dollar music studio guess what they're going to plug in to that studio this macbook right like right. the millions of dollars of equipment sitting in that room is the cost they don't care this is they might as well be buying a box of crackers or a microphone like the, the, it's fine it yeah. i don't know if i could spend more than i i think the most expensive computer i ever bought was the 16 inch macbook pro that came out in um oh no gosh it was the 2015 sorry i got the 15 inch macbook pro 2014 while i was in deployment in dubai i spent that money i don't even know how much that cost because the, the numbers were insane <laughs> yeah but uh, in american dollars it was 2700 bucks i don't know why i bought that configuration it was very expensive, but a very fancy laptop that I uh, I very much enjoyed. But geez, these things can get expensive. For sure. I said on Twitter, I'm not sure, but I did not order one of these just yet. 
I didn't order one because I'm waiting for the Mac Mini and iMac. I want to see what the full lineup looks like because I do want a desktop with these powerful chips and not worry about charging or power or docking. Like I just want it to sit there and be powerful. And so I'm holding out. But listeners, if you got one of these or you have thoughts on the event or all this kind of stuff, we would love to hear from you. You can tweet at Wes and myself. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you there. You can also support the show by giving us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. And you can support the show at patreon.com slash Apple Insider or directly in Apple Podcasts with $5 a month where you get an ad-free, uninterrupted version of the show and early access. Plus, we have a private Discord you can get in as well. Don't forget to check out the HomeKit Insider Podcast. That comes out every Monday. Andrew O'Hara and myself talk about smart home and HomeKit products. It's a lot of fun. Also, listeners, as you heard at the beginning of the episode, I'm actually in the mountains of North Carolina on vacation. And so I'll not be on the next episode. You'll have to listen to that episode to see who will be on it. It's going to be a great show for sure. But I'll be back the very next week. And I look forward to being back with you then. Thank you for all your support and for tuning in. And I'll catch you next time.